Wow. Whatever the little love. Pew. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 46. In this episode, we are talking about Colson Whitehead's Nickel Boys. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other. Episode 46, I had some trouble with saying other, Yeah, but we're going to roll with There's it. There's an L in the middle of it. All of um, yeah, episode 46. I'm, I've, I've been excited about, uh, about this episode for probably a month now. Cause I okay. think we kind of, we, we kind of previously talked about this book a while back and I know there was kind of a lot of buildup to it. So I think this is going to be, this is going to be an interesting episode. It's a wonderful kind of like evening. We've got some, some cityscape outside. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's been a rainy overcast day. So it's, it's a perfect day to, to sit inside and in like a nice cozy, warm sweater and talk books, right? It is. So this is going to be a pretty standard episode. We're going to tell you a little bit about the author, Colson Whitehead, in his return to the podcast. Yes. We've read him before. We were both very excited to get back into this. I'll give you a brief summary. And then of course, we're just going to jump into it. I know you actually, I am so proud of you. 2020, you. you're turning over a new leaf or you're turning over an old leaf. Yeah. Because we used to both make very like detailed notes and have all these questions. And then we got in a period where it was like I was making notes and you weren't. And then I was like, well, all right. And then neither of us are making notes. And now you're back to making yeah. notes. So now I'm feeling the pressure. Maybe I should show up with notes. But that's not what this episode is all about. <laughs> We're going to shoot from the hip this episode, but yeah, we'll, we'll chew things over. You've got some questions. I'll probably think yeah. of a few questions. And then, of course, at the end, we'll get to our patented three-tier four if we're getting rid of it. Uh, five, there's not going to be a five because there's not anything funny or cheeky to relate to this book. Yeah, we, we, we probably <laughs> and, shouldn't make jokes. Nope, it's just four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no cheeky, no cheeky book relates this week. Uh, and then we'll tell you what we've got coming up on uh, future episodes. Yeah. If you haven't read the book... You should go read the book because it's weird to listen to a book podcast about a book you haven't read. And we're going to get into some themes that are probably hard to contextualize if you haven't read the damn book. And all things aside, good, bad, or otherwise, whatever we come to the conclusion on this book, it was a pretty quick read. Yes. 210 yes, pages. Really, uh, there was nothing that really tripped me up. So, you right. know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad book to go pick up if you're just interested and in, in knock out over a couple days. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about Colson Whitehead. Uh, he was born in 1969 in New York City and uh, grew up in Manhattan. He uh, attended Harvard. Um, Nickel Boys is his seventh novel. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, we previously read The Underground Railroad, which uh, won the Pulitzer in 2016, I believe. And the National Book Award. And the National Book Award. Um, and ironically, there's some weird symmetry between that episode and this one. That was episode 23. This is 46. Oh. Yeah. So unintentional, but uh, notable. Well, it's about the same time of the year as we read the last one. We read the last That's one true. about beginning of February. Yeah, you're right. So um, so in addition to the uh, National Book Award and uh, the Pulitzer, he also won a Carnegie Medal of Excellence, uh, an Arthur C. Clarke Award. Uh, he was longlisted for the Booker Prize and the International Dublin Literary Award, among a bunch of other stuff. Um, this book, Nickel Boys, uh, is a finalist for the 2019 Book Critics Circle Award, and most of the like the major awards haven't started yet. So, like the, the yeah. this book would be eligible for the 2020 Pulitzer, potentially National Book Awards, and all that kind of stuff yeah. haven't haven't been named yet. So, uh, yeah, very. Uh, 
very highly regarded sure. writer. And as I said, this is this is obviously uh, his second book that we read. We did read Underground Railroad, and you had a unique experience too because you went to a writing uh, conference that he gave uh, a keynote. Yeah, and for he, there he is. Uh, he's extraordinarily thoughtful. Um, so he did a. Uh, he did the keynote at the um, Association of Writers and Writing Programs conference in uh, 2019, and um, they just uh, published in the Writers Chronicle, which is the AWP magazine, which mm-hmm. I believe you can get at like Barnes and Noble and and things like that. Uh, a full um, thing of his of his keynote from that, so it's very very good, very worth a, worth a read. Um, I will say as a fun aside, you know, having watched him even, you know, back when we were doing Underground Railroad and watching some of the stuff that he's done kind of like press for mm-hmm. this or just talking about it. I have a man like writer crush on Colson Whitehead. Dude, he's, he's great. Like, he's just like this like weird, introverted, like cool, just I, I, I have such a man crush on him. So I'm, I'm with you. He's, yeah. He's a, he's a good guy. Like just one of those people you just want to be friends with. He's kind of, yeah, he's kind of like that prototypical like... And, and we'll get into it on this book, but, you know, even back, and there's going to be a lot of comparisons with Underground Railroad just because it's another book of his that we read on sure, the show, sure. but just, I mean, just his writing style, it it, it speaks to me in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in a sense of just kind of its brevity, but like amazing usage of like filling the space, but I'm getting ahead of yeah. myself here. Let's you, get you to are. this. Give us a summary Let's first. get to this summary. So, uh, Nickel Boys, in the plainest way I can say it, is basically the story of uh, this horrible awful uh reform school if you want to call it that really just a reform prison yeah uh in jim in the jim crow era south and uh basically our experiences and horrific things that happened there and uh the aftermath thereof yeah so i think we would be remiss to not sort of frame up that uh while all the characters and and stuff um in this book itself are fictional the school and the basic framework for what happened uh, are very much a real thing. Mm-hmm. So this was a real school. It was the uh, Arthur G. Dozer uh, School Dozer, for I was Boys. About to say, it started with a yeah. D. Um, and uh, so yes, very much like a a real uh, a real thing that he's he's writing from. And uh, he does acknowledge in the back of the book all of the um, all the source material and uh, and things that that. Uh, that he used, so uh, I believe it was the New York Times. Um, there was a writer that reported extensively on this. Uh, the University of uh, South Florida um, had their uh, anthropology, I believe it was anthropology yeah. group um, go through the actual you know grave site and stuff that they they mention here. The outback um, area, as it, as it well, not outback like Australian outback, but out space back. Correct. Uh, and back. yeah, so th- I think that context is is really important. I knew that coming into it because I remember the the news on on this whole thing. Did did were you aware of that before? Like, I did beforehand? not. Okay. Uh, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I I was. I did not remember um, that news, or I I guess I was just not aware of it until I got to the the end, and we kind of got the the author's notes on it. But gotcha. It didn't surprise me. I I had assumed in my in my mind that coming into this that this was. Um, more of a inspired fiction from kind of like uh, research or, yeah. or other things to kind of piece together this story to give it that sort of authenticity. And obviously knowing now sort of the, you know, the depth of that actual uh, that actual school and, you know, it's not as though this was a, you know, it was just a, a singular uh, reform school or anything. You know, I'm sure yeah. there are plenty of other incidences that are 
lost or not yet fully uh, sort of exposed to the, the the wonderful history that you don't ever really learn about, and then yeah. you kind of find out about, it and you go, oh, wow, okay, yeah, wow, that's awful. So, yes. Before we jump into this book, I just want to point out that we are... I think probably the most, you know, we are we are definitely the 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 best category of people to to make comment on this book. I think middle class, thirty uh, <laughs> something uh, white guys, you know, talking about Jim Crow era atrocities and racism and institutional racism and you know uh, abuses of power and and slavery through uh, I guess through incarceration and things like that. And, yeah, uh, you know, it is it is a weird thing to kind of get uh, to get. To that point with yourself. And right, right. I know that, uh, I guess this is more just a disclaimer that we are who we are and the experiences that we have are the experiences we have. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, this book doesn't pull any punches and I don't think we're going to pull any punches in the episode, but, no. you know, we are, we are limited by our experiences. So. Well, yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's unpack that a little bit because I think that's an important point and we've, we've made that that disclaimer several times when we've approached topics that ghost boys let's, let's be honest that we're like sure that that we're uncomfortable with right well n- not even so much that we're uncomfortable because i don't think i i actually i like reading or i like at least taking in um subject matter that's uncomfortable that makes you kind of like think about things in a in a different way it's just it's 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 hard for me to 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 I guess see kind of how pervasive some of these things are just because yeah. of my own experiences and so yeah yeah when we when we talk about books like this or beloved or ghost boys or underground railroad I guess those are the most obvious examples because we are talking about uh, racism and slavery and, right. and race relations and things like that you know we take it with a grain of salt obviously kind of we're kind of limited with our own perspectives but I think that we both do a pretty good job of trying to to work outside of that and yeah and 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 do our best to you know do our best to hold it down yeah so. exactly and and so you know i th- i think that it's it's important you know and and i want to get into this much later but i want to kind of develop a conversation into this okay point before i i go too far but i i do think it is important to try to reach beyond the limits of whether it's you know our uh you know, social experiences are, mm-hmm. you know, geographic experiences are, you know, socioeconomic experience, racially, religious, like all of these, all of these different things that we tend to, you know, become tribal about. I think it's important that we, um, we approach other things, um, that maybe we've been on the wrong side of, of history on. Right. And, um, to do that with, you know, a certain thoughtfulness. So sure. yeah, I think it's, it's perfectly appropriate for us to, Make clear where we're coming from. Yeah, as, as that was we, our disclaimer. So this. good talk. All right, let's yeah. jump into this. I I, I don't want to waste any time. Okay, I want to talk about the twist. Uh, you want to jump straight? To I the just end. want to jump straight to okay. the twist, All and right. then we can we can All work right. our way back because okay. we're kind of presented. You know, early on, you get the prologue, and we're in the present, and it basically sets up. It sets the stage for this kind of like unsettling feeling that you're going to get going through this whole book because it's like, yeah. all right, you yep. you see sort of the aftermath of this of this experience of this school. Um, you see kind of all the the horrors and atrocities that you or you at least kind of see the aftermath of that, and you know that you're going to kind of experience that because yep. you would assume that we're going back in time because that's what the the story says. But through it all, we're kind of like 
okay, well, now I'm kind of con- I, I'm I'm kind of interested to see how Owa gets through this, right? How we how we kind of experience this whole thing because you know we're kind of set up that it's like, yeah. oh, okay, well, this is going to be interesting how he kind of makes it through this, and then we get to the end and we find out he doesn't, yeah. and it's a complete just like, by the way, I'm going to subvert this entirely and just switch it out and it's not Elwood who makes it it's actually Turner and then he takes on Elwood's name and everything that you thought that you were seeing or experiencing or you know understanding is completely flipped on its head and I was just curious because I felt like this was a book I mean obviously it's a book you would not expect that in it's not something that I would expect that kind of device being used Um, but I thought it was done pretty well um, what were your thoughts on it? Did you have any kind of like inclination? Did this thing just hit you out of the blue? I mean, what were your feelings about it? Uh, well, I mean, f- first of all, I, I, I think it was, it was gut wrenching in, in the sense that, you know, just as a reader, I wasn't expecting it. Right. Sure. With how um, much you're investing in him too. And you're right. thinking that it's like, oh, well he makes it through this. So it's like, he, he somehow perseveres in the face of all this. Yep. And I think as a, as a writer though, um, it's it's absolutely genius the the way that that he went about it and and here's here's why I think that 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 sort of turn is 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 smart because Elwood is is a is a certain type of character right he all throughout the book is um, seeking education yeah. um, he is seeking you know peaceful protest and basically you know following the tenements of Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Sure. And um, your impression as as a reader is that, you know, with these jumps into the future that Elwood somehow like made good um, by keeping himself and and getting out of this situation and eventually, you know, owning this moving company. And, you know, he 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 made it right. And he Mm -hmm. he stuck to his principles theoretically, right? And that those are the things that you need to do in order to succeed and to survive and even thrive. And by using that turn, um, he completely pulls the rug out from under us and and says, you know, no, like you can do all the right things and you can still end up getting shot in the back with a shotgun. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other guy, you know, gets away, right? You, and 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 that I think is such a is such an important thing. I think just a good life lesson, right? That you yeah. can do you can do everything right and still all the wrong things can can happen to you. Um, and it boosts Elwood's you know just the impetus for you know him even going uh, to the school. You know just hitchhiking and and ending up there. I mean, the implication is that you know this guy committed a crime, right? And that mm-hmm. he was just sort of caught with him. And caught in all of that, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's brilliant. I mean, hmm. uh, for all the things that I loved about this book, I uh, that little like device, I think I loved the most for how many ways that it it spoke to me. Yeah, I I mean, I will say this, I I don't know if I've gone on record on the podcast before, just because there have been a few books that we've had that have had twists. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't been as super impactful as this, but I, I don't know if I've gone on record as saying this, but I'm usually not a big twist guy. Okay. I usually, uh, I feel like so often twists are used to kind of cover up sort of weak storytelling. 
right? Okay. By yeah. doing something like interesting, and you're like, oh wow, look over here. Okay, I switched it up on you. Sure. Just kind of ignore this and like, oh, isn't this cool that I like subverted your expectations? And so normally, whenever I see a twist in like movies or um or 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 literature, um, I do kind of feel a little bit like mm, like it leaves a little bit of taste in my mouth. And I will say that this one didn't do that, and that was that was really surprising to me because again, I'm not a big twist guy. I yeah. kind of I like things on the level. Sure, I like sort of. I feel like it's like oh, I have like a handshake arrangement with the person telling me the story. It's like you tell me this story. You get me invested, I'll be invested. Yeah. You don't need to rely on these other sort of tactics or, you know, devices in order to kind of uh, liven up what would otherwise be sort of a weak plot. But I think why it works so well is the book really on its own didn't need it. And I think so often, it like, the, the feeling I had after I put it down, kind of like reflecting on the twist was, man, like... What would this book be if it didn't have the twist? Like mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's less that it's sort of just that gotcha moment, um, that it's that opportunity to kind of subvert people's expectations to kind right. of make them feel like a <gasps> like a gas moment when they have that realization, right? And then that's like a a lasting impression that I'll have. Someone will remember this book or remember this movie um, because of this twist. You know, that's yeah. that's the lasting impression they'll have. And it just made me really think like, wow, you know, it's so often things can be done without the twist, but this book to me is just like the level with which it would rank for me as far mm-hmm. as like my level of enjoyment with the twist versus without the twist. Like thinking about it after the fact, it's crazy. It needed the twist. The twist was... Mm-hmm. Such an intrinsic part to kind of the overall narrative message that that we get here. That yeah, it's probably the first time in any form of media where you've had such a big and you know there are obviously like little minor twists, and I think that that's yeah an important yeah. part of storytelling. But to have such a major like. How could you have even seen this coming? Because there wasn't a lot of, you know, it's not mm-hmm. like there was a lot of breadcrumbs. Right, right. I mean, you go back and you reread, and I'm sure there were breadcrumbs, but it's not painfully obvious like sometimes you yeah. get. So I, uh, that was refreshing for me, honestly. Just going back in, just thinking about this book and and how much more it means with the twist and with getting kind of the that sort of... I don't know. It it also makes you just go like, oh, oh my precious little, my little sweet, like optimistic, like yeah. just yeah. bright boy who's just trying to do right. And you're like, the whole time you're just like, oh, he's going to get out of here. It's right, awful. Right. He's going to get out though. And then he, he doesn't and you're just crushed. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, there is sort of the double re- revelation, right? The, the, that Turner is, is. Uh, pretending to be Elwood, at, yeah. least, at least by name, he's yeah. not. He's not really taken on his identity. Yeah, so he doesn't really like right. But, yeah, um, he's not. I mean, as far as as far as we know, he's not. You know, he's not picking up the mantle. The family, anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there there's a little bit of a, a thing there, but you know, so Tur- Turner is still you know who he is. So you get the. You get the reveal of, you know, Elwood being dead and then you get, you know, Turner's reveal and sort of the way that I felt about it was less of like, a, you know, like a plot twist in a movie, you know, where yeah. you're where you're supposed to just be like, oh, the killer is so and so. And to me, it was just it felt like um, 
it, it just it felt like you were peeling back like the skin on this whole like situation. I mean, as, as grisly as that is. Yeah. But like then suddenly it, it just there was there was some kind of revelation that that like emotionally I had about just the school and that situation and the boys and then Turner, because when we started getting the future forward stuff, mm-hmm. um, I, I started thinking like, well, oh, it's it's weird that like he's smoking and like what happened to his back? And like you, you get this picture of a very broken man. Yeah. And um, all the lead up um, to, you know, the the uh, the, the nickel uh, school stuff still had Elwood like firmly supplanted in his like, you know, optimistic worldview. Yeah. So it's like, God, what is going to happen here? That's going to take us from that boy to this man. Yeah. And come to find out that it's, I mean, his his death, his death. But I mean, even Elwood's death affects Turner, right? Like there's, there's no doubt that like his, his overall, you know, life is, is impacted by that. But Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, that was, Probably one of the best things that I've read in a book in, in quite a while where I've just I've really appreciated the craft, I think, of of that whole decision, that plot device. Yeah. Solid. All right. Now we can we can't get into some other things. I just I, I would be remiss if I didn't make us uh, talk about the twist up front right off the bat just to get those yeah. spoilers out there for people that are just like, well, I'll have a listen. Maybe it'll be something interesting. Nope. We spoiled it. Sorry. So. One thing uh, that that I noticed as as I was reading, so early on, I I dog eared this um, this thing because I just I had a feeling that it was it was going to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when he's talking about, um, or he makes a, a reference back to his encyclopedia, yeah, um, that he was reading, and he he mentions Archimedes. Uh, so I'm just going to read this real quick. It's okay. like two sentences. Violence is the only lever big enough to move the world. So that's the the Archimedes yeah. um, philosophy that that he picks up from the encyclopedia, and then a couple times he uh, he quotes um, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and uh, the quote there um, that I think is is sort of complementary and uh, juxtaposed a little bit is throw us in jail and we will still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer, and one day we will win our freedom. We will. Uh, not only win freedom for ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we will win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. So you have this, you have this principle that like violence is the only way to yeah. you know affect change, and then you have MLK saying um, that we are going to endure this, and through that endurance mm-hmm. um we are we are effectively going to to come out on top so the the thing that i that i thought was interesting was that there there's somewhat similar concepts right because mlk's endurance doesn't work unless you're oppressed right right and 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 part of that especially in this era was violent right i mean this this book is violent yeah absolutely uh, so so you're saying the juxtaposition of Archimedes and saying that by carrying out violence, you influence change versus MLK saying by having violence carried out onto you and enduring that violence that you can endure change or uh, that you can make change. Right. And so the, the, the sort of philosophical question that I was going to pose to you then is that is, is it possible to affect social change, uh, social injustice? 
without horrific stories like this, without things like the Holocaust? Um, is it really uh, possible to change society um, or protect a specific you know, group of people that have been oppressed? And I spent a lot of time thinking about That's this. That's a doozy. It it is, and and I'll I'll let you noodle on it, and I'll tell you okay. what, what I what I thought um, while you think. But um, I kind of came to the conclusion that that history tells us that we as humans are not very good at affecting macro change mm-hmm. unless there is there is a dramatic influence, and there is nothing I would argue more influential, unfortunately, than than violence because it is so shocking, especially when. Uh, it is needless, right? Yeah. And I th- you know, some of the biggest change that that we've seen, you know, in in history have been because of war, uh, have been because of you know just what is the word I'm looking for? Um, genocide. Genocide. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's it's those types of things that you know that move things forward in um, at a faster rate than I think just typical like conversations right that the sort of political side of things the bureaucratic side and i'm certainly don't mean to to say that uh that violence is necessary to affect change or that it is a the correct way in which society should function um or that it is the only way by any means but um it it was interesting to me when i when i read that archimedes thing at the beginning of the book and i read the the mlk um passage you know a couple times he references yeah. that, that passage um and it, it, just the relationship between those things um jumped out at me and as yeah i mean you wouldn't on the surface you wouldn't equate those two things as kind of uh assessing or or at least espousing the same thing but the you know the link there kind of does exist that in order to suffer to endure to sort of uh have that be the the primary mover for change you have to have something to endure sure um yeah i i think that obviously uh espousing violence as a strategy to elicit change better or worse is a is a terrible idea um but i think that from a historical standpoint people are very complacent yeah in in their lives in the situations in society at large the world at large whatever uh, people are very complacent, and um, they don't like being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the primary mover for for uh, change, for the good, uh, for for progressing or creating, you know, more uh, positive situations, obviously, people have to be uncomfortable. You have to get right. people out of that comfort zone, and. I think that there is a direct correlation with how uncomfortable you make people versus how f- quickly the the change comes. And now, mm-hmm. again, without trying to sound like somebody who espouses violence as a as a really positive means of doing that, it does have a very profound and powerful impact on people because yeah. you have events, singular events, or small prolonged events, or just something that causes such a high degree of discomfort, a high degree of anger, resentment, or anything like that, that you can you can create sort of an upwelling of of that sentiment and of that power. Um, I think that 
man, you know, it, it's unfortunate that it has to come to that. You think that the the ideal situation would be for people to not be afraid to be uncomfortable right, or to right. assess uncomfortable ideas or practices uh, and sort of um, evaluate them for their merit. And if it mm-hmm. is worthy, then you would, uh, you know, elevate that. If it's yeah. not, then you would tear it down or, you know, break it down and tear it away in an effort to try to have better um, you know, as a society at large, but it's it's really easy to look at the individual and see a general discomfort for doing that, even yep. on an individual level, striving to sort of um, be the most, uh, you know, physically well taken care of, you know, make sure that you're healthy and all you're fit. That requires a level of discomfort that some people just don't ever want to get to. Sure, sure. And so they don't do that because sure. it, you know, it, even though there would be plenty of things that would have positive effects on their life, mentally, physically, whatever, they don't want to do that because it makes them uncomfortable. Right, right. So when you're talking about an individual at an individual level saying there are very uh, moderate steps they can take, not even just physically, but when you're talking about uh, education, when you're talking about like, hey, you know, you can be doing this to kind of like improve your, situ- your, your situation socioeconomically or like even within your job, here's a few things that you could do that will maybe do that. If there's that like small level of uncomfortableness, it's really hard for people sometimes to find the motivation to just, you know, grind yeah. it out and be uncomfortable for a prolonged period of time. And so it isn't surprising to me that that, you have one person, two people, a hundred people, you know, when you extend it out to society at large, now you have sort of a collective group of people that are very comfortable with whatever sort of situation. So yeah, it's tough. It's tough because violence is very powerful. Yeah. And, um, that's why we fight wars in the first place. Right. Because it is the, it is the, 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 Biggest way that it, you know one country can sure. can impose it's, it's, their their opinion on on another. Yeah, and I think that's as unfortunate as it is. History shows us that a lot of times violence is the only thing that gets us from point A to point B because right. we allow things to get so uh, awful that it, things happen, and and that is finally what elicits change. But the yeah. problem is, anytime you invoke violence in anything, then you're just you you bring about suffering. You can't separate violence from suffering. And I'm the kind of idea that suffering is bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, MLK says, you know, he'd said that like enduring that suffering, that that there is sort of that strength from enduring kind of a trial, but yeah. Yeah. But it's tough. I I think, I think on the, on the other side though, is like, um, it's not necessarily the act of violence itself that, begets change right yeah. um it, it's it's not the the holocaust happening that you know makes us now pay attention to anti-semitism right sure it is the illumination of what occurred there right yeah. and all the books and all the movies and all the personal accounts and and museums and all of these things that that have welled up in sort of the pit of of all the atrocity that was that was there that we can all kind of go to and draw from and and say okay this this is something we cannot let happen again yeah and that's where you know i think i think a book like this um is is really important as well mm-hmm. right because um i mean he also has the the MLK quote about you know bringing bringing light to to darkness. You can't you can't rid uh, darkness with darkness. Only light can can rid darkness. And in a sense, um, the only way that you can take 
um, an atrocity and turn it into a positive change is through that illumination. It's, yeah. you know, through a book like this, through uh, reporting in the New York Times or, you know, what what have you. And so while Archimedes, I think, um, had it partially right um, for for a segment of it, I'm going to argue that he didn't have the the whole the complete understanding of of how human nature works in those extreme circumstances. And yeah, I just this book to me, I think plays on on so many different levels, right? Yeah. Cuz cuz not only do you um do you get the very specific uh atrocity of this school, you have the the whole era um, of mm-hmm. of racism and the the shift kind of generationally um, out of Jim Crow and then just the lingering problems um, sure. that that were still there and still are pervasive, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think you know when we start the podcast by saying you know we're two white guys talking talking about this, it is it is just as important if not more important for people like us to read books like this, Mm -hmm. um, to understand somebody else's disposition in life, to understand their history, Mm -hmm. because it's not our common history. I mean, it's not our common history in the sense that my grandparents didn't go through that. Right. Right. My parents didn't, didn't go through that. They were a party to it in some way, just like we are in, in modern day racism, uh, or anything, you know, that, that goes on in the world. Um, but our experiences are our own, and they they don't tend to cross those boundaries unless we get exposure to information that we wouldn't otherwise get organically. Yeah, right. So, I I just man, I like I thought so much about this book, like as I'm reading it and as as I'm going through, and it's just it's I could read this one again and probably probably think of you know ten other things that were that were going on. Yeah, I know we have a I know we have a tendency to when we kind of have these sort of historical books like this to, to try and kind of find that thread that, that pulls through to mm-hmm. sort of the, the current day narrative. And the easiest thing for me with that was the, was kind of the labor. Uh, when okay. we talk about sort of their, their incarceration, you know, they're at a, a reform school, but they're for all intents and purposes, you know, they're basically incarcerated. Yeah. And, um, you know, we see basically that they're, the expectation is that this is oh this is a school to to reform them to save them mm-hmm. from prison so that they can get an education they can work hard you know mind their manners and then they can they can kind of live life as sort of healthy and functioning you know adults and kind of put whatever transgressions behind them and the reality of it is we see it's it's not that at all it's basically this uh, indefinite period of, uh, you know, living and, and working and not being compensated for that and essentially just being a prisoner, uh, yeah. just being captive. And, and it's there's no rehabilitative effect to that. And it's really hard. It's really hard not to see the glaring sort of uh, comparisons that, you know, a lot has changed in the 50 some odd years since uh the height of the civil rights movement, you know, probably not as much as probably should have changed. Sure, but, absolutely. Uh, but a lot has changed. But one of the glaring things that hasn't changed, and in fact, in some ways has become even more pervasive, is this system of incarceration mm-hmm. as a means for reform, with the reality of it being this sort of method of 
deriving this cheap labor, this exploitable workforce um, at the expense of, of trying to, to genuinely help people um, who've done something wrong to better themselves and to be able to reintegrate into society. When you talk about people, too, that are incarcerated for nonviolent offenses, it's it's you know it's crazy. That's yeah, one of the things yeah. too. It's you know you see it you see it in this book and you see it in a very specific way. But it's really hard to not draw the parallels because when you do see things like you know you kind of have your disproportionate uh, amount of of young black men that are in prison today that are yeah. kind of still still in that sort of uh, sort of their lives are not their own. They're being kind of exploited as 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 cheap labor. Yeah, and. It's it's such a it's such a difficult thing to to really weigh into, right? So like even in the book, you you have the the uh, state resources, you know, going to the school, which are in turn, uh, you know, shoveled off to to members of of the community, yeah. right? And you know, just like we use federal money to privatize prisons, yeah. like when I when I first heard about that. Uh, I don't know. It was probably a decade ago now. No. Like this blew my mind. I, you always think like federal prisons are, you know, a bunch of government people running around, not not a company. Yeah. Right. And how many how many news stories have we heard about, you know, abuse or, uh, you know, people uh, dying, being murdered uh, in prison mm-hmm. uh, and the, the lack of accountability. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just it's appalling to think that we're going to take away somebody's freedom in the in the name of justice but in doing so place them in a place that readily like fosters injustice and uh i mean it is it is a it can be in a, a criminal element like of uh, in and of itself yeah. right just like we see in the school and nothing uh not enough has changed right sure and and uh even as we illuminate these things through through the news and and uh i mean shit man we have we have documentaries on you go turn on A&E or discovery channel i mean uh-huh. better odds than uh, that you're going to catch a show about like you know behind bars some prison you know, yeah, yeah some prison and i think part of the reason why it's so pervasive is you have a very split sort of consciousness on this, on kind of the role of prison. And I think that you have people that have taken advantage of that divisiveness Mm -hmm. and the idea of, well, prison, first and foremost, is a punishment for you did wrong. This is your punishment versus the people that say, well, prison is an opportunity to have or not an opportunity, but it's a place where you remove dangerous elements from society in order to attempt to rehabilitate them. Right. Um, and so, yeah, those kind of ideas, uh, I don't think they're necessarily opposed, but there is a lot of friction in that ideology. For sure, and, for sure. and I think that creates this sort of environment where uh, you kind of create a, like, I, I understand that there are people that are incarcerated or in prison or in even like reform schools for, or juvenile centers for, yep. for kids that are, um, underage and it's the idea that yes i do believe that there you know there is a level of of a punitive measure in this in in your sentence and in, in sure, what your situation yeah. is but 
it is it is it is crazy how much it's been taken advantage of because you you it's really easy when you have something so divisive that you're kind of you can kind of let people fight it out. Meanwhile, we're going to take advantage of this sure. situation because we've got yeah, they're not going anywhere. They don't have a choice. They are either yeah. they can either go to solitary or they can work and earn you know a dollar an hour or twenty five cents an hour. You know, I, I'm just pulling those numbers out of my ass. Yeah, I have yeah, no yeah. idea, but <laughs> I imagine not, they're not, not a living. They're wage. not making fifteen bucks an hour no. uh, doing laundry and and you know stamping out license plates and stuff like that. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it is it is crazy, and it's just something that is so visible. Yet so invisible, if that if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. Okay. So then just kind of bringing it back to the book then, is justice ever really served? Um, I mean, just like in a general sense. And then is justice ever served for Elwood, for his injustice? No. I mean, for... Well, okay, we'll start with Elwood. I mean, obviously, I don't think that... I don't think there's any way to look at this and say that justice was served. I mean, nothing, you know, nothing of his own doing other than his sort of naivety about the situation. I mean, he's a kid. Uh, his naivety and, and, you know, willingness and determination and curiosity and just sort of like moral fabric to trying to be, you know, he wants to study. He he wants to to make good grades so that he can earn points. He wants to, you know, do whatever he can to... To, to try to to get out of this whole situation until he kind of realizes that it's like, well, that's not what you're here for. Yeah. You're here to be punished. You're here to be taken advantage of in all sorts of different ways. And, you know, you will either um, stay out of the way or you're going to suffer for it. And even if you, maybe even if you stay out of the way, you're still going to suffer for it. It's just, yeah. it's a, it's a place to suffer and it's just that idea, even even looking at people who have done horrible, terrible, awful things, the idea of of sentencing someone or, or forcing someone to be in a situation simply to suffer is just inhumane to the highest degree. Yeah. And just it's so hard to reconcile that with your conscience as a person who truly believes that, you know, you should do good by other people. They should do good by you. But the idea of regardless of what a person's decisions were, that you will condemn them solely to suffering is is just it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, for for a country that, you know, likes to to wave the flag and, and yell freedom, uh, we sure do like to take it away at at almost every turn where we have some kind of advantage yeah, to do so, to whether made. it's yeah, I'm, economics of it, uh, just the social standing. Right. Sure. Um, I mean, again, not with not weighing too much into the into the political sphere um, on this episode. But I mean, it's part of the reason that racism is is prevalent in a lot of the the Republican, you know, voters right now. People yeah. people have been emboldened, um, you know, with just the the language and, and the rhetoric that that goes on. And it is self-serving. Right. It, it is. um it is more to do with those people's insecurity than it, uh, I think, does you know speak to their conviction, right? When you when you really get down to the reasons why do people behave this way? Yeah, and yeah, it's just unfortunately 
uh, it takes a long time to get out of out of cycles of abuse, right? And um, whether we like it or not, we tend to do to others as other people have done unto us, even if that's not the person that you know you're currently dealing with. Yeah, and I think being a responsible person, right, is is recognizing those those shortcomings and at all possible junctures trying to not behave maybe the way that, you know, that you were taught to or that uh, society, you know, uh, pressures you to in certain situations, right? And, I mean, we could talk for, we could have a whole podcast for we're the rest very, of our lives. We're yeah. getting very meta pulled out yeah. on this, which is, which is, I mean, I started it's, it, honestly. Well, so no, 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 but, but it's, it, you can't talk about this book and stay in the book. Yeah, like, that's yeah. Just, I mean, that's that would the, be doing it a disservice because yeah. so much of this book is, and you can tell just by, you know, Whitehead's approach to this, so much of this is commentary. It's right. not, it's, it's a story and it's using this story as a means of, illuminating kind of larger ideas and larger problems. And yeah. we would be remiss if we kind of ignored that for the sake of just sticking to the material. Right. Um, but I would like to bring it kind of, if you, if you're done, I would yeah, kind of like to bring I, it. I kind of wanted to, I want to kind of want to talk about this. Um, like this book as sort of like a, a, an illumination of like social justice yeah. compared to like ghost boys. And I know that's not quite fair because um, Jewel Parker Rhodes wrote that as as a YA novel. Yeah, it's an, uh, um, there 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 are constellations made for audience taken into consideration there. Yeah, so I think the 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 difference sometimes when you're you're trying to get to an audience that maybe doesn't isn't familiar with with the like subject or the context of of what you're writing about when it's yeah. when it comes to to racism. Sometimes taking an approach like Whitehead does, where it is extraordinarily grounded in a very specific, you know, situation, sure. and you don't get into the sort of uh, the meta too much. Yeah. Um, other than he does bring MLK in a lot, which you know obviously brings in a whole. But that, feeling, but it, but it never feels that never feels out of place because it feels very grounded no, no, in no, Elwood no. as a character. No, no, no. But but uh, I just, there is a there is a microscope on on these characters sure. as, as we go through, right? We never, we it's never a, pull back. It's out a very tight society. narrative. Yeah. yeah. It's a very tight narrative. It's a very just focused story. It's a character story. And, and the thing that he does that that book doesn't. And again, it's not a, not necessarily a fair comparison because it's sure. a YA novel and it needs to be a little bit more on the nose. Yeah. Um, is that you can still, you can read this book closely and you still feel a certain way about all of these macro elements. Yeah. Uh, and you know, just gone for you know forty five minutes on on this, and I'm, and I mean, and a lot of that again. I I know that we said we weren't going to spend a lot of time just because we've read Whitehead before, and we were very. I mean, we were gushing over his writing yeah. on on Underground Railroad, so it was kind of like, hey, this is awesome. We can just focus on the elements. A lot of it comes down to man, he is such a good writer. He, he is. He gives you such a a very poignant. Whoosh, sort of like narrative and, and everything is very condensed and kind of tight, but it's done in such a way that it just, it, you absolutely can pull back from what he gives you. It's, it's, it's not done in a very on the nose way. Like you said, it's, it's, yeah. there's, it's very subtle and it's just very concise. And there's something about reading that 
it really allows you to do a lot of the a lot of the sort of emotional and intellectual heavy lifting when mm-hmm. you're kind of you're like man I'm feeling this about this I'm I'm thinking this about this and it really allows you to to take the own initiative on your on your own to pull out rather than just having kind of like oh yeah here's Emmett Till to come in and and sort right. of explain this situation for you and again not to knock on Ghost Boys I think we were both fine with the the overall uh yeah, everything that was about Ghost Boys, it was just more so again audience considerations there for that one. So, um, all right, should we get down to to ratings? On well, I, this? One more thing, wanna... real quick. I again, I I I, I did want to kind of pull back real quick and just talk about the characters because okay. that, if I had one gripe, okay, one gripe with this book um, is outside of Elwood. I mean, even Turner was kind of a little bit. Um, every other character was very kind of like one note. They were mm-hmm. very like mm-hmm. kind of empty, sort of like uh, a backdrop to everything that that is going on with Elwood. And yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because we do get a lot with Elwood. But what were your thoughts on that? I was a little bit um, disappointed that we didn't have as many kind of fleshed out characters. We really just had Elwood, and then with our subversion. I mean, even with Turner again, because he is. He's kind of there to be that ideological uh, opponent with Elwood mm-hmm. as yeah, far as yeah. like sort of approaching the realism of, you know, your situation in society and how to best maneuver through it. He's kind of a blank page. We get very few details about him. And I think that that's probably done purposely because of the bait and switch, because, you know, the, sure. I'm doing yeah. a lot of sound effects this episode. You I just are. realized, but uh, yeah, a lot, a, of onomato- Foley artist. a lot of onomatopoeias. Uh, that's not an onomatopoeia. Those are just noises. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you got to say the word, which is I always did. fun. That's that's the best part. But yeah, yeah no. it did feel a little bit. That is the one gripe that I would have is I wish there were a little bit more fleshed out uh, with some of the characters, primarily, uh, I guess, maybe some of the other boys, uh, his grandmother, for, yeah. for instance. But yeah. Yeah, I, I had a similar thought. And um, I wonder how much of it was intentional in the sense that by characterizing them less they could be anybody right yeah you could put anybody you know in that situation right even even fringe you know just acquaintances Mm -hmm. uh and i i think that there was enough detail to like make them people um but not enough to ever really like answer the questions of did they belong there uh, yeah. you know, did they have, did they have this coming to him? And, and some of the kids, you know, certainly, um, they, they expanded on what happened to him afterwards or, you know, a little bit cagey about like what they did to get in there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I think the ambiguity, um, served, you know, to, to potentially allow us to, to sort of bring our own like predispositions to these characters without yeah. being fed too much. Um, but also, I think it, it's probably a good illustration for the fact that, you know, th- these these kids that were murdered and buried in this schoolyard are have, have been faceless. Right. Yeah. These are kids that were abandoned by their families, um, either out of necessity or just that. Unfortunately, that's the, the hand that was dealt to them. In Elwood's case, they were taken for you know, uh, unjust reasons, you know, from, from their family. But the thing that they all have in common, especially when they're at the school is that they are, they're fucking nobody. Yeah. And so I, I I do think that there's, there, 
there are probably multiple ways to read that. And if you want to take the literary thing, you know, maybe it's the the facelessness of it. Yeah. So okay. But I I, I understand your I understand your comments. Simple caveman that. reader over here. I like yeah. my characters. But. but the other thing too, um, if I just jump back for for one second, the other thing that I think when you do things like that it makes you think more often and makes you wonder more often about like, what did this kid do? Like, what is, you know, what is the deal with him? Um, and it, it again, sort of makes you want more, right? Yeah. It, it is, it is just, it's a taste of things that just makes you want to chomp down on, on something meaningful, which is probably why we latch on to Elwood so hard. And it makes that twist. Yeah. Maybe even, even more, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. because it really is you get so invested because he's the one that you're invested in because there's yep. no one else to really spend time thinking about it. And then, yeah, they just 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 making more sound effects. That was my gut being wrenched. That was that's better. Less that's, that's more of a gut. That's, that's more, more of a gut, gut wrenching. Man, I, I've got to say, there have been not a lot, but a few books on this podcast where we hit 50 minutes and we have just like exhausted everything there is to talk about this book. And yeah. uh, this one is definitely not one of those. This is mm-hmm. one of those that it's like, you know, just have to do some things lip service because this is a book we could probably talk about for another two or three hours. But oh, for sure. I don't think that that's really the the where we're wanting to go with this four no. hour book podcast. I don't think anybody wants that. So. Yeah. I don't think our listeners want a three parter on a, on a 200 page book, but Hey, if you read it and obviously, you know, if you, if you have some interesting questions or thoughts, you know, hit us up on Twitter. Got to get that Twitter plug in yes. there, but at better bookshelf at better bookshelf, you got to say the Twitter. Yeah, that the Twitter I was name. letting you, that was why I was pointing at you. Oh, that was, this is what this gesture means. Um, let's get to ratings. Let's get to ratings. I'll go first because it was my book. Um, obviously I'm keeping it. Uh, I don't think that there's anywhere else to put it other than the top shelf. You know, we didn't really talk about structure or style a little bit on the themes. You know, we didn't really get into the, the analytical literary stuff just because we didn't need to. It's really good. That mm-hmm. all checks all the boxes. I mean, if you're just wanting to read to take in just good writing, it's a good book. Yeah. Um, then we talk about subject matter. Obviously, it, like I said, it's a very focused story, but it leaves so much for you to kind of pull apart there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just really good. Uh, basically, a universal recommendation. It's going to be top shelf for me. It's tough, man, because there's been it, it's so fresh in my mind versus underground where we have a little bit of, of time uh, out. So, yeah, as far as their locations, man, mm. that's a that's a doozy. I'm Most, not sure. Probably today I'm saying Nickel Boy is just because it's fresh in my mind, but it might be that close. Underground might be yeah. better. I don't know. But they're they're both good. This one was especially good. And it's it's top shelf for me. So. OK. Yeah, uh, so I was actually going to ask you how you would how you would rate this against uh, Underground Railroad. So close. And keep in mind, like that won a Pulitzer uh, a few years ago. Yeah, which is you know kind of a big deal. Sure. Um, I found that book to be worthy of of the Pulitzer for sure. Um, and but I do not remember appreciating it um, stylistically. Um, just structurally, uh, or even just with the content, as much as I appreciate this book. Okay. I think if this book does not win major awards this year, um, or at least get some nods, um, obviously you're, you're competing against a whole shit ton of people. Sure. Uh, and yeah, I, to be I fair, will, we didn't. 
our, our back half of 2019 where we could have been taking in Pulitzer hopefuls. Yeah, we were yeah. kind of taking some risks. For sure. But uh, yeah, I oh boy, this definitely top shelf probably breaks the top three for me. Okay. It, it was... Gentleman's still at the top? Yeah, Gentleman's still at the top for okay. me. Okay. Um, but this is just... Now we've read two books uh, of Whitehead. I've I've read the third. I read Zone One, which I that's the zombie one. Right? Yeah, I just I didn't I didn't like that one. Although I wish now that I still had it and I hadn't taken it to half price when we moved, yeah. because I'd like to go back and see if that was kind of in this weird period where I wasn't reading. Yeah, see if you uh, have like a new eye of appreciation yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah, so I might I might if I go to half price this week, I might grab that one again. But yeah, f- top shelf. I think I think Whitehead is going to be a major 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 writer like of our lifetime yeah. just i i really do i think just i mean i mean if this book wins a pulitzer you know you got two pulitzers to your name that's that's pretty prestigious company alone right there and it yeah. seems like you know he's got he's got some he's got some room for some more yeah he's just he's an astonishing talent he really really is to take something like this and make it entertaining in the way that he did is just yeah. fantastic okay um, you got to follow this one up. Well, it, this was this was yeah, a got, this was a rare knock it out of the park hit for me. I haven't had one of these in a little bit. I've been taking some risks. This one was my like, all right, where's uh, my my book of 2020 has got to be good. So I was starting off with this one, but nailed it. You nailed it. You know, we're back to back episodes. I I think double top shelves for me. That hadn't happened in a minute. So I'm excited for what we have in store. Yes. So before I, before I announce that. Uh, have you seen 1917 yet? Yes. Okay. We I saw, saw it. We saw I it opening s- night. Okay. I saw it in like XD, high def, whatever. Jeez. Oh, uh, like literally three days ago. Yeah. Uh, it made me appreciate uh, Silent Night a lot more. Okay. And that whole that whole story. So I was talking to I was talking to Vicky, my wife, a, a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that book just like if you go see 1917. You should seriously consider reading uh, Silent Night and checking out our episode on that uh, because I think those two things go really well together. And that movie we need to start a mo- so we need to start a movie good. podcast. Well, I don't so watch much- that many movies. There's I uh, well you didn't read a lot of books then either until oh, we started God. the book podcast. Let's 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 not let's not start. We're gonna start branching yeah. out. I think it's yeah. time. Two podcasts a week. Oh boy, I don't know if I can keep up with that pace. Uh, okay, so our next book, I'm I'm keeping with the theme of um, not uh, not novels, um, as it were. Until you run out of not novels, well, then I've, we'll go I've back only, to novels. I'm only I'm only doing this for this book and uh, one more one more thing. Kay. So, um, th- last episode I talked about doing a play next. I'm gonna hold off a little bit so that we can. We can make a good. Oh, you eighty six the play. No, no, no. We're just we're, we're gonna do the play. That'll be my next. That'll be my next section. We're still gonna let Twitter decide and all that kind of stuff. But just with the timing. But we're just gonna we're jumping in. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna read a memoir. Um, okay. It is a it is a narrative uh, memoir. Interesting. Oh, you also got it here. let me take a look. also a Pulitzer. We're gonna read Angela's Ashes okay. by Frank McCourt. Obviously, we've had a good a good string of of Pulitzers. I, memoir was was the other form that I really wanted to get into, and we really haven't touched on like a a narrative memoir like this. Yeah. Um, the downside is um, it's it's going to be a little bit lengthy, um, but I think it's it's going to be good. Not a topic that I have a lot of background. Same. In even though I I'm, I have Irish roots. So. Yeah. I've been to Ireland. Love it. Wow. Would move there in a heartbeat. Did you just try to one up me? No. I uh-huh. 
I've been to Ireland. I've been, no, I haven't been to Ireland. I've been there on vacation. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do Angela's Ashes next. Okay, fantastic. Uh, I, I was I was warned by somebody who, who had read this previously that it is depressing. Fantastic. I'm so, looking forward to that after this may, super uplifting and happy book that we just may, finished. Maybe a real somber episode. Do yeah. you have do you have a book picture? Are you gonna announce it next? We're three we or we're three episodes in and oh, it's yeah. been uh, for twenty twenty. It's been pretty somber so far, so I'm doubly excited about this one. Yes, and after that we're going to be reading one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. I've decided to get okay. into children's books. Uh, mostly because I have a almost one and a half year old, so I'm reading yeah. a lot of children's books, and I'm very much approaching it with the podcast. And no, I haven't picked a book yet. Okay, that's uh, fair. That's fair. I'll know next episode. It may actually be one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, because I love it. The baby loves it. I mean, didn't didn't you just basically say the entire book, just announcing it? Eh, kinda. Okay. Yeah. Well, that can count. It's not, as... it's not about the it's not about the destination though. It's the journey. That's fair. It's one of that's those fair. books. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. We we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you liked Colson Whitehead, check out episode twenty three on the Underground Railroad. Next episode is going to be uh, Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt. Hit us up on Twitter if you've got anything to say at Better Bookshelf. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. <laughs> <laughs>